Amen. Lord, we are blown away to think that as you hung on the cross, that you thought about us. Lord, that you love us so much that you'd rather send your son to die and than live without us. And Lord, I just thank you for your love, for your grace, for your infinite mercy. I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we're good, but because you are. You're such a great and an awesome God. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to uh, read Ephesians 4 for Sunday. Lord willing, we'll be looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 this coming Sunday. As Pastor Bill mentioned, I want to encourage you to be praying and then, and you know what, maybe write people's names on the back of these, pray for them, the people, and then hand these out. And be praying for that evening that God would, you know, there'd be many people, people's names added to the, the kingdom of heaven that night. Amen? Amen? And that's what it's all about. At the same time, I want to encourage you, don't just think about bringing your unsaved friends, certainly do that, but know that those who know the Lord already will be greatly encouraged. It's one, again, I said it before and I'll say it again. I've never heard people more, say it more often than after this is over. People walk out the door and say, if I had only known, I would have invited so-and-so. So I want to forewarn you so you're not saying that, okay? So invite people and be praying that God would do a great and an awesome work. You are allowed to invite them to church any other time as well. You can do that. You're not just waiting for the Pottershill ministry. But again, that's something that we're pointing to that I know is pretty unique. All right. Joshua chapter 8. Now Joshua, as we've said so far, is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. How to walk in the Spirit-filled life. How not to walk in the dryness of the desert. Remember that the previous generation died in the desert. Why? Because they walked in disobedience. God gave them a clear command. They rejected it. And though they were saved, though delivered out of bondage in Egypt, though they had experienced crossing the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism, they did not enter into all that God had for them. And I believe this is much of the church today. Delivered, born again, but not having much impact on the world. Now the scary thing about that is the Word of God says, by your fruit they shall know you. And so if we're not bearing any fruit, that's a concern. And I don't believe we can lose our salvation. I just don't believe that's the case. But I do believe this. I do believe if we're truly saved, that we will endure to the end. And if we're truly saved, that our lives will bear fruit. And so I wouldn't want to stand before Almighty God having prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and had a life that's been fruitless because that goes contrary to what the Word of God says. Amen? But sadly, we see that much of the church today, people point to a day when they prayed a prayer or they walked an aisle or they made a, a confession. But you know what? We shouldn't have to point to a date. We should be able to point to our lives. We should be able to point to how we live every single day, not a prayer we prayed 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And the children of Israel, sadly, were walking in dryness because they refused to respond in obedience to God's command to go into the land of promise. They were more worried about what men said about the giants than what God said in His Word. His Word to them, His promise to them that if they would go in, He would bring them victory. Well, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, that they finally enter into the land of promise, and the first thing they run into is the greatest obstacle or the greatest enemy that they would fight as far as just the the greatness of the fortress, the greatness of the people, and that was the city of Jericho. Jericho, Okay, And as they came in, the first thing they did was fight this great battle, these great obstacles that were put in front of them. And as we said before, a couple weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 6, that we should stop looking at trials as a no-fun bummer, but realize that God allows these things to come into our life that we might grow spiritually. We say we want to grow, but we don't want the trials. Well, it doesn't work that way. You either have growth in trials or no growth in no trials. Pick one. Well, you don't get to pick because the Bible says in James, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Amen? So as Christians, often we're either in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of a trial. That kind of defines our life right there. Now, I want to say this, that praise God for trials because when, again, we go through the difficulty, we get to see the greatness of our God. And that's what happened in Jericho. He had to march around the city for six days. They're examining this massive 25 foot hall, five feet tall walls, 20 feet thick, walking around them knowing 
not, not even necessarily knowing exactly how God's going to do it, but told to be silent, don't say a word, march around the city six days in a row and examine the greatness of your enemy. Why do we need to know the greatness of our enemies? So we can know the greatness of our God. Because we know that on the seventh day they marched around and blew trumpets, the walls fell down, the greatest obstacle was defeated. Well, sadly, sometimes we go through trials and we think that we have something to do with it. We start to take credit for what God did. And so then what happens right after the battle of Jericho? Well, sadly, they fell into the trap of thinking that they had something to do with it. Because it says at the beginning of chapter 7, the first word was but. What happened was God did this and God did this and God did this and God brought victory and they wiped out Jericho and they defeated their enemy and not a single person died but. But, and it was a big but, what happened? Achan had gone contrary to the word of God. Achan's name means, who remembers? Trouble. Trouble. Hey, that was good. Wow, you're going to, wow, praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You guys are paying attention. Achan's name means trouble, and that's exactly what he was. And Achan later was Achan, wasn't he? Because what did he do? He went and God told him, all of them, don't touch the spoils. Why? Because Jericho was the first city they were fighting, and the first fruits belonged to the Lord. So everything that they brought out of there was either, if it was sacrificed to idols, it was to be destroyed. If it's gold or silver or bronze, something of great value, it was to be brought back to use for the glory of the Lord. Well, sadly, Achan took some of the stuff and hid it, thought nobody would know, but the Bible tells us that your sin will surely find you out. And you may think you're getting away with it, and you may, you may think nobody knows, your wife doesn't know, your parents don't know, your best friends don't know, nobody's caught you yet, God knows. And God's mercy is not God's permission. Just because you've been, quote, getting away with it for a year or six months or two years or five years, don't equate that to God's blessing upon your sinfulness. And so what happens is surely your sin will find you out and it found Achan out. But it wasn't only Achan that had blown it. Joshua blew it too. We talked last week, there's three ways, you've heard this many times, three relationships we can have with the Holy Spirit, with, in, and upon with the world, their conscience, in you at salvation, upon you in the baptism of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which the life in Jordan is a representation of. But we talked about three things that man can do to the Spirit. We talked about last week that while the Spirit is with you, you can resist Him. The world can say, I don't care, convict me of my sin, I don't care, I want to live my life anyway, and we can resist the Spirit. But not only can we resist the Spirit, but we can grieve the Spirit. When the Spirit goes from being with us to in us, we now walk around with the Holy Spirit in our lives wherever we go. And when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But not only can we resist the Spirit and grieve the Spirit, but we can also quench the Spirit. How do we quench the Spirit? By getting into our flesh. By not believing and trusting in the gifts that God has given us and stepping out in faith. We can quench what God is trying to do and wants to do in our lives. Now, what did Joshua do to grieve the Spirit and, in a sense, quench the Spirit. You know what he did? He didn't seek God when the next battle came. This battle was huge. They just defeated cancer. We just wiped out cancer, in a sense. We just wiped out you know, malaria. We just had this, this deathly disease we were going to die from, and God just took care of it. Wow, that's a big deal. Now we've got a much smaller problem. Now we've got the flu. Oh, you know what? I don't need God on this one. I mean... You know, we, we just wiped out cancer. I don't need God's help with the flu. You know, I just wiped out, you know, financial struggles. I don't need God's help with a discipline problem with one of my kids. And what happens is we start qualifying things where I need God's help over here, but I don't need His help over here. You know what? We're all guilty of it. Don't you pray different for cancer than you do for a cold? Isn't it true? Somebody comes up, I got a cold, can you pray for me, Pastor? Yeah, Lord, just ask in Jesus' name. You know, take this cold away and... You know, if not, Lord, have them take some Dimetap when they get home. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, I, I've been diagnosed head to toe with cancer. I've got three days to live. Get all the elders up here. Lord! Right? <laughs> oh, Lord! We're crying out, right? Like, because we qualify what God can do. Do you know it's just as easy for God to cure cancer as it is to heal a cold? Amen. It's just as easy. He's God. It's nothing. We start qualifying things, and this is what happened to Joshua. We wiped out Jericho. Well, go check out Ai. 
So the spies go up and they see it and they go, they come back and, they, you know, AI means trash heap. trash heap. Somebody was paying attention. Praise God. That wasn't as good as trouble, okay, but close. All right. So it means heap or dump, right? So they go up there and they come back and say, you know what? Joshua, don't worry about sending the whole army up there. Send a couple thousand people. It's a little dump. They can just take care of it. Now, God had commanded Joshua earlier when Moses was passing off the, the baton in a sense to him that whenever he made a decision, he was to go to the high priest before he went out into battle. The high priest is a picture of Jesus Christ. Before you and I go out into battle, we need to seek the Lord's will. Amen? And so he didn't seek the Lord's will. He looked at it as a small problem and he sent the... Now this is interesting to me because the spies told him. He listened to the spies. Now earlier he was one of the 12 what? Spies. And he was one of the two that said, oh no, we can take care of them. And the other 10 said, oh no, don't trust God, we can't do it. And you know what? Here comes some more guys, spies, and he listens to the words of the spies instead of the word of the Lord. Well, we know what happened. They went up there to fight Ai. How'd it work out? Not too good. They got chased away. 36 people died. And not only that, now they knew that there was sin in the camp. Because God said, you know what? Because there's sin in the camp, because you haven't honored me, that's why you lost to the enemy. You didn't seek my heart. You didn't seek my will. As Christians, we do this. We go out and do things, and then they, they become a disaster, and then we ask God why he let it happen when we never asked him for direction before we did it. Lord, I can't pay my house payment, and Lord, I'm about to die here, and I can't do it, and I'm falling. Did you pray about it before you bought the house? Well, no. So whose fault is this? Whose fault was Ai? It wasn't God's fault. It was Achan's fault. It was Joshua's fault. It was because they rebelled against God. They didn't hear his voice, and they did not honor him. So last week, the title of the message was Quenching the Holy Spirit. And how do we quench the Spirit? There's a path to... Uh, to spiritual dryness, there's a disregard for God's word, a lack of godly fear, a lack of desperation, and it ends up with a lack of faith, and that's exactly what happened. But praise God, at the end of the chapter last week, we saw that there's a road to refreshment. That not only is there a way that we can quench the spirit and get away from God, but there's a road to being refreshed in the Lord. You've heard me say it many times, you can take a million steps away from God, but it's only what? It's only one step back, and praise God for that. You know, we may walk away a million steps from him. He's already right there behind us. I'm right here. I love you. You're my child. I love you. I'll never leave you. I'm right here. And praise God for his grace. And we saw that the first thing that must happen to be refreshed and get right with the Lord is understanding the real reason for the defeat. It's my sin, not God's faithlessness. Why am I struggling? Not because of God, because of me. Amen? If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? You did. Amen? God didn't move. You left. He didn't leave you, you left him. We need to understand there's a call to be sanctified, to remove the sin out of the camp. You know, we don't just turn our eye to sin and just continue on in it and wonder why we're struggling in our walk. Now, if you guys come on Sunday morning, you know that, the, that we teach and believe and know that the Bible teaches the gospel of grace. As we saw on Sunday, we're in the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, amen? We're not saved by our works, but we're saved by grace. But... If we've been saved by grace, we ought to walk in holiness. Amen? Not so God will love us, but because He loves us, we walk in holiness. Because we trust that He knows what's best for us. So the sin needs to be brought into the light, and the sin needs to be removed from the camp. So now, Ai, they've defeated, been defeated by Ai. They've been chased out of town by this little dump city. And now, in this chapter, we're going to see that God is so good because God gives us yet another chance. You know where you've blown it? God wants to give you another chance. You might think, I've blown it. God could never use me. I want to encourage you that God is in the business of using everybody who's willing and available. Amen? He's not looking for ability, but availability. Just someone to say, here I am, Lord. Because that's all of us, sinners saved by grace. One beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And so the title of the message tonight is Renewing Your Walk with the Lord. Renewing Your Walk with the Lord. And I'm going to give you, for those of you who take notes, five points. How do we renew our walk with the Lord, as we're going to see in tonight's text? Number one, a renewed passion to know God's heart and will. A renewed passion to know God's heart and will. No longer am I the, you know, the pilot of my life. 
Jesus isn't my co-pilot. If he's the co-pilot, I need to swap seats. Amen? He needs to be in charge. I'm riding with him. He's leading. A renewed passion to know God's heart and God will, God's will. Number two, a renewed desire to respond in obedience to God's commands. So a renewed passion to know God's heart and His will, and a renewed desire to respond in obedience to God's commands. So when we know His heart, then what do we do with it? Thirdly, a renewed faith to trust God to bring the victory. A renewed faith to trust God to bring the victory. Okay, we've renewed our passion to know His will, now we're stepping out in obedience, and now we have to have faith and trust that God is going to bring the victory. Fourthly, a renewed heart for complete surrender and worship. A renewed heart for complete surrender and worship. We need to come to that place where you can sing that song and mean it. I surrender all. Amen? God doesn't want to be 50th in your life. He doesn't even want to be first in your life with a bunch of other things after it. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that means He's first, tenth, fiftieth, one hundredth, and every number in between, He is my life, period. Amen? Amen? That's who Christ needs to be in our heart. A renewed heart of complete surrender and worship. And then lastly, a renewed burden to boldly proclaim His Word. So a renewed passion to know God's heart and will. A renewed desire to respond in obedience to His commands. A renewed faith to trust God to bring victory. A renewed heart of surrender and worship. And a renewed burden to boldly proclaim His Word. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 8. Renewing your walk with God. God's not through with you. A renewed passion to know God's heart and will. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua. Now what has just happened? What has just happened is they have just put Achan away. Right? And his entire family. Because Achan disobeyed God. Because Achan hid the stuff in his tent. Not only did he die, but his wife, all of his children, all of his possessions, set on fire, destroyed. Completely. So that's all happened. And then it says in the last verse, so the Lord turned, his, the, turned, turned from the fierceness of His anger. So He went from being angry with them, but because of repentance, there's been restoration. So now the Lord addresses Joshua anew. And He says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Chapter 7 again ended. The repentance, the removal of sin from the camp, the Lord's turned His anger away, and with that repentance now, there's restoration, and then encouragement, and ultimately comfort that comes from the Lord. Can I encourage you, if you come here tonight, and you think that God is just mad at you, and God, you know, there's no way I can get right with the Lord, you need to get a different picture of God. He's not a God up in heaven with a lightning bolt in His hand waiting for you to make the mistake so He can smoke you. That's a cartoon God, that's not God, amen? Our God... And one of my favorite pictures is the picture of the prodigal son. The father, when his son, who's taken his inheritance and squandered it in, adult, you know, in worldly living, when he comes home, he's hoping that he can be one of his father's servants, because that would be better than where he is. But when his father sees him coming afar off, he kills the fatted calf, he takes out a brand new coat and puts a ring on his finger and says, my son who was dead is now alive. That's the way God looks at you. He's right here with open arms saying, Son, daughter, come home. I love you. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. I'm going to throw a party when you come home. Hey, parents, if you've got kids that aren't walking with the Lord, what would you do if they came into your house tonight and said, You know what, Mom and Dad? I've not been walking with the Lord. I want to get right with Him. He's a priority in my life from now on. Will you forgive me for what I've done and help me in my walk with the Lord? What would you say? You know what? You've done too many bad things. Get out of here. There's no way. And we're sinful mom and dad. So why do we think perfect holy God would be less loving and less forgiving when he's obviously more loving and more forgiving? Amen? So he's saying, Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. There's been restoration. I love you. You're my children. You made a mistake, but praise God for repentance. Praise God that there's a million steps away. You've taken the one step back. I'm not done with you. If you're here tonight and you think you've done too much for God to forgive you, you need to know the God of the Bible better. Because you can't, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Sin has consequences, amen? Sin has consequences. 
He got his arms of love out to us. He, he desires, again, to, to hug us and embrace us, not destroy us. But at the same time, it's important to remember that when we sin, even when there's been repentance, often there are still consequences. That doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It just means that God allows us to go through those difficulties so that we will learn from that, that decision process that we've made. Amen? If I go out and commit adultery... My wife might forgive me, but I still could get a sexually transmitted disease. Is that true? God can forgive me, my wife could forgive me, and I still could reap consequences. I could have a child out of wedlock. There's so many things. I could end up having a divorce, even though, my, even though God forgives me. I could end up having my children angry with me. All those things can happen. Maybe you're here tonight and you've gone through that. Let me, know, let me tell you right now, first and foremost, just get right with God because He loves you. And then pray about the rest of it. Because our God is a faithful God. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. You know, again, know that God is still faithful. You know what the enemy wants you to do when you've blown it? Be afraid and be dismayed. Just feel like you can never be used again. Look at all the horrible I've done. God can't ever use someone like me ever again. You further the kingdom? Ha! God can't use you. Forget it. You've blown it. Every time you step out in faith, look what happens. Just, you know what, just forget about it. God will never want to use you again. You should have, you know what, think about all the times you could have been used and you didn't do it. And think about all the times God wanted to, to use you in ministry and you just walked away. Think about the people he put into your path to share your faith with and you didn't do it. He's done with you. Forget it. That's the enemy. Amen? That's not God. He doesn't condemn us. Don't be afraid, but know the character of God, his love, his grace, his mercy. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. But be encouraged that God still has a wonderful work He wants to do in and through you. The first key to a renewed walk with the Lord is fully grasping the complete forgiveness and restoration that comes through repentance. The Bible says that He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know, God can't forget, but He can choose not to remember. Amen? And He chooses not to remember. So when the condemnation comes for sin you've repented from, that's not God. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. I'm still your God. I love you. And I praise God for His grace. So we need to learn of His forgiveness. Be ready to receive encouragement and be renewed. Look what it says here. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Now this is a little different than what they did last time. What did He tell them? He says, take them all. What did they do? sent out a few thousand. They sent a few thousand out. They got arrogant in their own flesh and said, instead of seeking God's will, they figured out what they thought was best and did it on their own. Take all of the people. Then look what he says. And arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. I have given into your hand. You know what? When God says it, it's already done. He doesn't say, I will give to you. I will put it into your hands. He says, I have given into your hand. You know, I know it gives you a headache because it gives me one. You ever think about the fact that God's outside of time and space? So that means, so where was God 500 billion? He was there. Where was he? He was there. So where is he? He's outside of time and space. He created time. There was no time until he said there was time. So what was there? I don't know. Till I get to heaven, amen? There was no space till he said there was space. So when there was no space, what was there? I don't know. Aren't you glad you don't serve a God you can figure out? I mean, I understand his love, I understand his grace, but he's so much greater than me. If I could figure him out, he couldn't be God because I'm dumb, amen? I can't even figure out physics in college. How am I going to figure out God? And so the point is, our God is so much greater than we think. And He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And He says, I've given them into your hands. I've already taken care of it. You know, with the Lord, we don't fight for victory. We we fight from victory. The battle's already been won. He says, look, I'm fighting the battle. You just show up. I want that person to get saved. I'm working on their heart. My spirit's opening their eyes. I just want you to show up and be a tool in the hand of your master that I can speak through you so that person can come to know me. And I'll do all the work. You just show up and then I'll give you a reward. That's what God does, amen? 
We show up, he does it. I just, have you ever done that? You start opening your mouth, you know it's not you. Holy Spirit's speaking, right? You're just along for the ride, you're just hanging on. And you know what happens? A person gets saved and God says, all right, I'm going I'm to reward you for that. I didn't do anything. I was scared to death. Yeah, I know, that's okay. I've decided to use you anyway. That's the God that we serve. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. I've given the enemy into your hand. The battle's already been won. But Lord, I blew it. It doesn't matter. I've already won the battle for you. I, but I, I, I rejected you, Lord, and I didn't heed your voice. It's okay. I love you. Though, it had, though they had blown it, though they had grieved the spirit through Achan's sin and quenched the spirit through Joshua's pride, God still had great and mighty things in store for Israel. It says in Psalm 37, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Discouragement and fear are two common responses to failure. We're fa- we fail, so we're discouraged over the past mistakes, and we're fearful of future failure. I want to encourage you, if that's you tonight, God's greater than that. The answer for fear and discouragement is hearing and believing God's word. What does he take them right back to? They blew it. Why did they blow it? Because they listened to the word of men instead of the word of God. So what does he say? Don't be afraid. I've already won the battle. So he gives them his word again. Here it is. You blew it last time. Here's another chance to obey. You blew it last time. Here's another chance to obey. I don't know how many times he's done that in my life, but if it was a nickel every time he did it, we could fill this gym a bunch of times. Amen? I blow it, and then, he, uh, you know, and then I come back. It's okay, I'm going to use you still. I'm still going to use you. I'm a great and awesome God, and I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep using you, and I'm going to keep uh, speaking through you in spite of you. What a great God we serve. Turning our temporal fears to trust in God's eternal truth. How does that happen? By turning back to the Word. What does His Word say? Not what I've done. What does His Word say? He's faithful. He still wants to use me. And so he says to Joshua, okay, don't be afraid. Look, I'm not done with you. I've already won the battle. Now Joshua can say, let's send some spies up there and see. Let's, let's take a vote. Let's have a congregational meeting and see what everybody thinks. He could do any of those things where he can trust God. You and I can do any of those things. We can look at things from a temporal perspective, or we can simply trust God. Trust God in his word, in spite of our past failures or our current circumstances look what he says in verse 2 and you shall do to ai and its king as you did to jericho and its king so not only have i already won the battle but let me just tell you right now you know how you wiped out jericho you're going to wipe out ai too because this time i'm going to be with you you went out there by yourself the first time how'd that work out by the way you know we do that too we go out there without the lord and it crashes and burns and you know we we want to blame god but again We need to go back and be ready to go back with the Lord next time. Amen? Go back with the Lord, filled with His Spirit, led by Him. Where they had failed in the flesh, where they hadn't heeded the Word of God, made the same mistake as the spies had earlier, they would once again have victory if they would simply obey the Word of God. Obedience, again, is fighting from victory, not for victory. Press on. Don't give up. Paul said this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of many. I have hundreds I love, but this is one of them. Philippians 3.13 says this, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Leave what's behind you and press on in Christ. Amen? You don't have to deal with the bags back here anymore. Amen? Go chase the baggage down and deal with my issues. and I'll oh, stop it. All that psycho babble. Get rid of that. Amen? He says, leaving what is behind, I press onward in the upper calling in Christ Jesus. Amen? He said, it's finished. He didn't say, okay, there's, there's therapy session number one of 150 to come. That's not what he said. And too often, we have nothing you know, in our own heart, in our own walk with God. We struggle because we just keep talking about this. You know, if you've counseled with me, you know I don't deal with that very well. Matter of fact, I don't deal with it at all. Well, here, but this, and oh, when I was five, and I, you know what? Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you born again? Okay, well then, God's forgiven and forgotten, so let's just move on. How are you doing right now? Because that's really what it's about, isn't it? Where am I at with Jesus right now? And he's telling them, look, you blew it. 
But now here's an opportunity to step forward in me. Don't sit around and, you know, oh man. You know, instead say, okay, Lord, you want to use me? Let me step forward. Here's a new opportunity. It's time for us to get going. And look what it says here. You shall go up to Ai and its king. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its cattle. You shall take his booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now listen to this. When they went to the first city, what, where did all the spoils go to? They all went to the Lord. Now this time, after they've blown it, he says, if you go in, the spoils are going to be yours. You know, if Achan had just waited, amen? Achan could have waited a few days. Achan was Achan because he wouldn't wait on God. He was impatient. That's a good lesson for all of us, amen? You know, I want a wife like tomorrow, Lord, and if I don't get one, then I'm just going to have to make it happen. Lord will say, okay, go right ahead. And then you'll be aching. Amen? Lord, I have to have this. Lord, I, you know, Lord, give me patience right now. You know, those kind of things. And we're trying to tell God what to do. And you know what? The consequences come every time. Just wait on the Lord. Do it God's way. It's so much easier. Amen? And Achan could have waited a few days. They would have had all the spoils they wanted in Ai, along with the next few cities, all the cities that were to come. But he wouldn't wait. He was impatient. He had to do it his own way, and he missed out on so much that God had for him. Achan was impatient, fleshly, and faithless, and his entire household was destroyed. You know what? Give God the first fruits, and then allow God to bless you when he wants to. Amen? However he wants to. I'd rather have spiritual blessings than physical ones any day of the week. Way better. If we'll just wait and seek him. You know, I, I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to say this all the time. You can have a little pleasure now and a lifetime of consequences or a little patience now and a lifetime of blessing. Sin is pleasurable for a season, right? And I'd be talking to youth group kids. You know, they're all walking hormones like this, right? And I look at them and go, you know what? First of all, girls, don't let these guys get anywhere near you. Bunch of hairy leg perverts, just tell them to get lost, Okay. Don't get me started, all right? And so I would just say, girls, you know, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. You want a godly man, be a godly woman, amen? You want a fleshly man, walk around with your stomach showing, and we'll, you'll, you'll, there. hey, you don't like me for my body. Gee, I wonder why. That's what you use to lure him in. Girls, if you use, guys, if you use your, your wealth to attract a woman and she only loves you for your money, well, duh. You want a godly woman, be a godly man. You want a godly man, be a godly woman. And... We see the same thing here in this case that, again, God's heart is that, you know what? We can wait upon the Lord and enjoy His blessings, or we can be impatient, do things our way, and endure the consequences for a lifetime. A little pleasure now, a lifetime of consequences, a little patience now, and a lifetime of blessing. Now He tells them, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Lay an ambush. This is God's plan. Now I want to tell you something. This is the exact opposite plan of what He did in Jericho. And you know what this tells me? God doesn't always do it the same way. Amen? Now, why not? Why doesn't God just always do the same thing the same way? Because we start worshiping the method instead of the Lord. Amen? If, if every person that, you know, bowed 11 times and put dirt in their eyes got healed, that's all we'd ever do. Isn't it true? But when he healed a blind man, he healed them all different ways. Why? Because he didn't want them to, to look at the method, but the messenger. And the same is true here. The first time they watched around and blew trumpets. Crazy, right? Until the walls fall out, then you think, we got to get us some more of them trumpets, right? You know what I mean? We marched seven times, the wall fell out. What if we do ten times? We'll probably explode, you know what I mean? And so what happens is we start following the method, and the Lord says, you know what? No, this time, we're going to ambush them. Now, this might even seem a little cheap. Why does God got to ambush somebody? He's God. He could just say toast and it'd all be toast. But he says, no, I want you to ambush them. You know what I believe? I believe he's dealing with Joshua's pride. Joshua's the kind of guy, he's a warrior. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go step up right on him, man, right now. Let's go. I'll just, I'll just get right square in front of him. I'm right here. What are you going to do about it? You know, that's Joshua. Mighty warrior, right? 
But he had blown it because he got prideful. Now God's going to say, I'm going to teach you some humility, Joshua. And here's how I'm going to do it. You're going to ambush your enemy. That means you're going to hide. Hide? I want to be macho man. I want to stand out in front of him. No, you're going to hide. And then you're going to run. Wait till you get to the... You're going to hide, then you're going to run. I'm going to run? No, I don't, I don't run. I stand in front of them. No, you're going to run. Why? Because you're prideful and you need to be broken to that. Amen? Amen? So number one, a renewed passion to know God's will and heart. First thing you want to do is listen to God's word and respond in obedience. But now a desire to, to respond in obedience. Look at verse 3. So Joshua arose and said, ambush? What are you talking? No, he didn't say that. Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. I think he learned his lesson. How many last time? 3,000. How many this time? 30,000. God said, ambush him. Okay. I did it outside of God's will the first time. You know, didn't work out too well. I'm going to obey the Lord. Ambush? We can do ambush. God says ambush. He said trumpets. That'd make sense to me. We did it. Walls fell down. He says ambush. I'm going with ambush. He doesn't question. He doesn't complain. He simply obeys. Look at verses 4 through 6. And he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in an ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us at the first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till they have drawn them from the city. For they will say they are fleeing before us as the first, therefore we will flee from before them. So we see here that Joshua has learned a valuable lesson and now he's going with God's plan. My plan, not so good. God's plan worked. I'm going with God's plan. Great, valuable lesson for all of us to learn. So these 30,000 men are going to be hidden west of the city. It's a very rocky area here, the area of Ai. So they're hiding within the rocks just to the west of the city. They're outside the city. They did it at night. Again, how different from Jericho. Jericho, what did they do? They marched around during the daylight and let everybody see us. Yeah, we're here. Didn't say a word. Trusted God and marched around. Now they're sneaking up at night. God, again, I believe, is humbling them and getting them to trust him no matter what he says. In verse 5, Joshua and those with him would serve as bait. They're going to go and draw the inhabitants out. Again, a humbling role for a mighty warrior like Joshua. And God has his way of keeping us humble and desperate that we might give him the glory. Remember that the previous people that went up there ran away. And now Joshua's got to go up and run away again. And again, you know, especially us guys, we don't like being looked at like a chicken. We don't like that, do we? We will, we will do stupid things just to not be seen as a chicken. I remember a guy was four years older than me in school. He was picking on me every day. And then he, did, he made the biggest mistake of all. He called me a scaredy cat. Pick on me, that's what, but call me a name? Okay. And I went up and just hit him as hard as I could. And ended up in the principal's office and got to go home for a week. And, you know, why? You, what did you call me? And man, there, you know, that pride, whoa, right? So here's Joshua. I have to run away? Not run away. Run away. But I'm Joshua. I'm the mighty warrior. Run away. Run away. You're running away. Yes, Lord. I don't like run away, right? But God wants to teach us humility. And may we learn the lessons he has for us. By the way, don't hit people because they call you a scaredy cat. Don't say, well, pastor did it, so it's okay. Don't do that was wrong. Even though he was in ninth grade and I was in fifth grade, it was still wrong. Don't do that. He never hit me again, though. I, I noticed that. Verse 6. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city and will say they are fleeing. So AI will think they're still in chapter 7. AI will think, look, they've come up here again and now they're running again. Let's go get them. Remember last time we chased them all the way? Wasn't that fun? And we'll just do it again. And so this time they show up and he goes, we're going to chase them and it's, they're going to think it's chapter 7. But you have to go up there and stand in the valley and be bait and then run away. You're not going to be able to stand up. You're not going to be able to be prideful. You're not going to be able to trust in your flesh. You're going to have to trust in the Lord. And sometimes that means 
often it means you need to humble yourself. And so they're going to have to do that. Walking in obedience to God's word and trust that God's hand is upon them. Verse 7. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Here's the key. God's going to deliver it into their hand, not them. God's the one who's going to do it. God's promises as if they've already taken place. It's as good as done. You shall arise from the amber, and for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. The battles of life are so much easier when we're trusting in and walking in obedience to God's word. God's faithful to his word every single time. Amen? Just trust him. Verse 8. And it will be when you've taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. You know what? This is a great, I love this verse. Because when we take Santa Cruz, may we set it on fire. Not physically, but spiritually. Amen? Amen. The city needs to be set on fire for Jesus Christ. And so we see here, he says, When you take the city, you shall set it on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. You're going to completely destroy Ai. You're going to wipe it out with fire. And may we set Santa Cruz on fire. Verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush, and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, because Joshua lodged that night among the people. So again, an almost cowardly approach. You know, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so they had to go out in humility, and they had to go out quietly, again, wiping out their arrogance, wiping out their their self-sufficiency, Again, almost the opposite tactics. Remember again, Jericho, one congregation going together. Here at Ai, they're going to be divided into several groups. Jericho went out by day, Ai going out by night. Jericho watched God work, and this time they're going to be a part of that work. And again, we need to learn that not to put God in a box. God uses different men, different messages, different methods, and we need to trust Him. Instead of putting all your faith in one man or one method or one way of doing things. God changes his leaders so we don't start trusting in flesh and blood. And he changes his methods so we don't start copying them and looking back at our past experiences instead of trusting in the Lord. In the spirit-filled life, we need to trust God hour by hour. Hour by hour. Staying in a place of constant desperation. Not looking back at past victories, but looking forward and trusting and seeking God day by day to do greater things than he's already done. You know what? I want God to do greater things in my life than he's already done. God's done great things in my life. I want him to do greater things. You know, God's done great things in the Calvary Chapel movement. I want to see him do greater things. I know that he can. He's a great and awesome God. Don't pull an AI and begin to think you've got it all under control. Move and move without consulting our great high priest. We need to seek the Lord. Verse 10, Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So Joshua's contingent, about 5,000 people, were set in place. So you've got the 30,000 set in place. You've got a, a smaller group with Joshua set in place, verse 12. And when they had set the people... All the army that was on the north city, at its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now, in verse 12, he took about 5,000 people and told them between, to, to go between Bethel and Ai. That was the back part of Ai. Here's what he's doing. Now, even though God's given him direction, we don't know for sure that God gave him the exact details, but we know he's using military intelligence here, because here's what he's doing. There's another city behind Ai called Bethel. So he puts 5,000 guys behind the city and says, if Bethel shows up, take care of them. We don't want them joining in the fray here. If Ai starts to run backwards, you guys be waiting for him. So we got 20,000 on the west side. we got these other guys behind them. And we're going to be standing out in front to draw them out. As soon as we draw them out, we're all going to just come in and collapse on them and they're going to be done. And so, again, this is God's plan, but he's implementing God's plan. God's given us a plan. We need to be obedient and faithful to implement His plan. Verse 13. We saw there, He said, And when they had set the people in the army, all the army that was on the north of the city, and its rear guard at the west of the city, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. So in the middle of that night, the armies are all set up, just as the Lord commanded. Joshua, going down, no doubt with a body of troops, went down into the valley. So as soon as the sun came up, They'd be able to look out and see Joshua right in front of the city. 
Now imagine again, here's Joshua, the mighty warrior, and he's standing in a valley, looking up at the city, waiting for the sun to come up, and them to come out and chase him so he can run away. Now again, not easy for a mighty warrior, but we need to learn to trust that God knows what is best. An act of obedience to God's command as he puts himself in, in harm's way, trusting that God's going to deliver him. Okay, Lord, you've told me, so I'm going to trust you. So renewing your walk with, Lord, a re- with the Lord, a renewed passion to know God's heart and will, and a renewed desire to respond in obedience. We certainly see Joshua has that, doesn't he? Okay, Lord, I don't get it fully. You've told me, running away, not my favorite thing, but Lord, if you ask me, I'll do it. Sometimes the Lord's going to ask us to do stuff we don't want to do. Amen? But if we'll obey Him, it'll always be worth it. And we'll always be glad we did it. Amen? And the blessing will fall out of number whatever humility we have to go through. And if we have to go through humility, it's because we need it. Amen? So thirdly, we have faith, a renewed faith, to trust God to bring the victory. Verse 14. Now what happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out, out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. So in the morning, he looks up, and here's probably a band about the size of the one they already tore up. Probably a couple thousand guys. Josh was down there in the valley waiting for him. Sun comes up, and they go, Oh, the wimpy Israelites are back. They didn't get enough of us last time. All right, let's go get them. And so they throw the gates open and charge out after them. And in obedience to the Lord, they ran away. Again, a very hard thing for a man to do. Now instructed by the Lord and not led by the flesh, they returned to battle the very same enemy that had just defeated them, but they had renewed faith that God would bring the victory. They're in the same position where they lost. They're standing in the same spot where they lost. They're fighting the same battle that they lost, the same enemy that they lost to. But God said, go, and they, okay. And that's trusting God, amen? All right, Lord, last time I did it on my own, this time you're with me. Let's see how it works out, verse 15 and 16. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them. And they fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So this mighty warrior who had, anywhere in the Bible I've never seen where he had ever fled before, he he flees. Because God told him. There's a time to turn the other cheek. There's a time to walk away. And the men of Ai were already confident. Imagine what they must have thought when they came out and the guys started running. They come out the gate, right? All these Israelites are wimps. And they come out and then they go, ah, and they start running away. They thought, wimps, we got them again. And so they just go barreling out after them, chasing them down the hill. Unbeknownst to them that God had a plan. AI used the exact same strategy as their previous victory, and that's exactly what the devil will do with us until we defeat him. He'll keep using the same strategy over and over and over as long as you keep falling for it. If you keep falling for watching stuff on TV, you should, and he'll just, okay. Keep falling for stuff on the internet, okay. You keep falling for struggles with finances or whatever. You keep falling, he'll just keep bringing the same trap your way. Struggling with drugs or alcohol, he'll keep bringing the same temptation. As long as you keep falling for it, he'll keep bringing, using the same... T- Why change the tactic if, he, if it keeps working? And here the enemy thinks that they're going to keep using the same tactic and it's going to keep working. Verse 17. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. Guess who showed up to help? Bethel showed up. Who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. This is typical of somebody who is arrogant and confident in themselves. They don't even think about the fact that they've left their city unprotected. They don't think about the fact they left their families unprotected. Why? Because they're arrogant. Well, I got this figured out. I can do it on my own. A mark of self-confidence and foolish pride. The same ungodly attributes that brought defeat upon Israel would now destroy their enemy. Renewing your walk with God. Number four, a renewed heart of complete surrender 
and worship. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So not only do I want you to run away, I don't want you to fight, I just want you to hold your spear out. Now does this make any sense from a military perspective? Don't fight back, hold your spear out. Now, I believe this was a signal to bring the ambush. He's run away. He's probably in a, in a position where he's up on a hill. He holds the spear out. Everybody sees it. Maybe there's guys standing on the hill. They see it, and they all come down and wipe out the enemy. But where have we seen something very similar to this? What happened? Joshua was there. He was fighting the Amalekites. And who was holding up? Moses was holding the staff up in his hands. And we know that it's a picture of worship, a picture of surrender, and a picture of prayer. And now the Lord's telling Joshua to do the same thing. Hold your hands up and surrender and worship in prayer. And in Moses' case, as long as you held your hand up, what happened? They won the battle. But when he put his hands down, the Amalekites, a type of the flesh, started running over the top of them. So, Josh, so Aaron and Hur came and held up Moses' hands all day long until they won the battle. Now it's Joshua's turn to hold up his hands. It's Joshua's turn not to be out there fighting the battle, but to be interceding for those who are. It's Joshua's turn to be faithful, when it, in a, and again, when it doesn't even necessarily make sense. Joshua, listening for the voice of the Lord, even in the midst of the battle. May we learn that lesson. He didn't know these instructions necessarily were coming. Stretch out your spear. And again, no doubt reminds him of what he had seen in the past. Obedient, obedient response would bring about victory. Real quickly, I want to point a couple of things out to you. It's interesting that Joshua, as we said, is a type of whom? Jesus Christ. And again, just for your own thought process, just stuff I saw. It says in verse 15 that Joshua, they, they went away like they were beaten. Who was beaten for us? When they ran away beaten, the enemy thought they had won. When Jesus was beaten, the enemy thought he had won. Amen? We also see that they fled. They fled from the enemy. What did the apostles do when Jesus was arrested? They fled. They left the city. They went, to the outs- they went away from the city. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city gates. Joshua holds up a spear. What did they do to Jesus to prove that he was dead? They stuck a what? A spear in his side. Just something, again, do you think the Word of God's put together just by chance, you think? Word of God is perfect, amen? And Old Testament pictures reveal to us New Testament truths. They thought they had them where they wanted them when they were chasing them away from the city, and Satan thought he had the Lord where he wanted him when he was crucified on the cross. And a few days later, he found out what he thought was his greatest victory was his greatest defeat. And this is only going to be moments later what AI thought was their greatest victory is going to be their greatest defeat. Amen? Verse 19 and 20. So, they, so those in the ambush arose quickly out of the place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. And they entered the city and took it and hurried and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled into the wilderness, turned back on the pursuers. So they're chasing people out, away. All of a sudden they see this mass of people going to the city and wipe it out. The city is on fire. People are coming at them from behind. And now the people that are chasing turn around and come back. Uh Uh-oh. We thought we won our greatest victory. It's about to be our greatest defeat. Satan thinks he's won his greatest victory at the cross. It's about to be his greatest defeat. And I love this too because again... We see the mighty hand of God and His plans are always perfect. What the enemy thought would bring victory was about to bring destruction. And instead of victorious, the enemy was left powerless. And I love this because it said they had no power. And you know what? Satan has no power over us. Amen? Amen. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we give Satan too much credit sometimes. devil can't make you do anything. Amen? Can't make you do anything. He can tempt you, but he can't make you do anything. Verse 21 and 22. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel. So on this side, 
and some on that side, and they struck them down so that there were left none of them remain to, or escape. So, how many of them died? All of them. And I love, again, the fact that God's plans are always perfect. Now, to me, and again, just sharing your pastor's heart, all right? Don't think this is a... But to me, you know what I, lo- what I thought about when I saw this battle? I thought about Armageddon. The enemy's caught in the middle, and God's army comes descending down upon them, right? And wipes them out. Those of you who go to Israel with us, Valley Megiddo, it's down, Right? And it's a low spot, and the army is going to be mounted there, and we're coming back with the Lord, and guess what? It's going to be worse than this battle. Amen. They're going to get wiped out. And again, I just saw that picture as I'm looking here at the word. Verse 23, but the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. So they brought the king back, and they're going to deliver him to an even more shameful death. You know what? God has a, has a way of dealing with those who lead others astray. I don't fully grasp it. I don't fully understand it. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I'm just being honest with you. But I have an idea that hell's going to be hotter for some people. I think hell's going to be a lot hotter for Muhammad than some. It's going to be a lot hotter for those. He was leading people into idolatry, this king. And guess what? The penalty's going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy on earth. It's going to be heavy later. So they delivered him to Joshua to determine his fate. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field and in the wilderness that they pursued them, when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword till they were consumed, and all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. Verse 25. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Again, I know we struggle sometimes with God wiping out or commanding the wipeout of women and children. But they were living in an idolatrous country, an idolatrous nation. And I believe that God gives everybody an opportunity to know Him, but in the end, destruction will come. And that's exactly what happened here. They thought they won a victory, and it led to sudden destruction. Verse 26. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he had stretched out the spear, until they were utterly destroyed, all the inhabitants of Ai. So look at Joshua. He learned from Moses' example. It doesn't say he was commanded to do that. But he never put his hands down. And I love that. He stayed surrendered. He didn't join the fray and start using his spear to wipe people out. He just kept trusting in God. I think that's a great example. Joshua from prideful arrogance to humble brokenness. Verse 27. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. So God gave them victory. He allowed them to enjoy the spoils. As I said before, God uses us and then blesses us. He gifts us, uses us, and then blesses us for using the gifts He gave us, that He equipped us to do. What a great God. And then Ai, just like Achan got into trouble, Ai became a what? Look what it says. They made a what? A heap. You know, I think we ought to make sure we don't, you know, it's amazing that Achan means trouble and he got in trouble and Ai means heap and it turned into a heap. I don't think I want to name my kid delinquent or anything, you know? Probably not a good idea. Like naming after people in the body. You know, again, as I've said, we don't have any Judases in our church. I think there's a reason for that. Got Davids and, you know, good, you know, biblical names, sound people from God's word. Don't name them stuff that you don't want, want them to follow in. Verse 29. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree till evening. Hmm. Galatians 3 says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21 says, For he who is hanged is accursed of God. You know what's interesting? This king of, of vile, idolatrous people suffered the same and not as intense a death as our Savior. But I believe this is a picture that not only is Joshua a picture of our Savior, but so is Ai. Because the Lord was accursed for us. Ai deserved his punishment. Jesus Christ did not. We deserve Ai's punishment. Amen? So Ai was hung. And again, the perfect Son of God was accursed on our behalf. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded they should take his corpse down from the tree and cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So again, 
In the flesh, Israel had been beaten soundly, and now they've defeated the enemy, and there's a huge heap of stones that would serve as a reminder to God's righteous judgment and His great victory. Lastly, last five verses, and we're almost done. A renewed burden to boldly proclaim both His word and His works. Uh, again, a renewed burden to boldly proclaim His word and His works. So how does Joshua respond to this great victory? He has a parade for himself. No. Some people do that in the Bible. You ever seen that? Saul, what did he do? God gave him victory, and what did he do? He had a parade for himself. I'm so great. Having the King Saul parade. Everybody come. You know what I mean? And sometimes people do that in ministry. They talk about how many people they've saved. You haven't saved anybody. God saves them all. Amen? You're the tool in his hand, but, and I did this for God, and God saw, and I did this, and I, no, you didn't do anything. Because without him, we can do nothing. Amen? I, uh, your pastor's pet peeve, when I see the worldwide ministry of and someone's name in big letters, I run away. I pull a, I pull a, a Joshua. Running away. Why? Because touch not the glory. Amen? And Joshua has come to grasp that. Because look what he does in verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. What did he do? He built an altar to honor the Lord. This is in obedience to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. I love the fact that God told them when they got in, into the land of promise, that on Ebal they were to build an altar. And so what does he do? He remembers the word of God from when he was in the wilderness. Now that God's brought the victory, he's walking in obedience to the Lord, and he builds an altar to the Lord. Now Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim from Deuteronomy 27, they're very close to each other. You guys remember the story? Six tribes on one side, six tribes on the other. They pronounce blessings from one side and curses from the other. Remember that? Deuteronomy 27 and 28. They pronounce curses from one and blessings from the other. It's interesting that where the altar is, is on the Mount of Cursing. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. And it's, He was cursed for us. Amen? And so that's the side that the altar was on. Verse 31, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now, I promise we're almost done. I want to say this. Notice that this altar, they were not to use any tools on it. You guys have been here before. It's the third altar in the Old Testament where we've seen this. You know why? It's not supposed to be about the altar, but about the sacrifice. Don't make a fancy altar. Don't make shiny rocks. Don't spray paint them gold. You know, don't do anything. Why? Because I don't want them looking at the rocks. I want them looking at the sacrifice. Guys, we don't need a sanctuary that people walk into and go, Wow, look at the building. Wow, look at the ministry. Wow, look at the man. No, wow, look at the Lord. Look at how great our God is. The focus is only on the sacrifice. It should never be on the man or the method or the, the way that we go about things. The secret of Israel's victory was not their army or their leader, but their obedience to God's word. And the focus needs to only be on him. And it says there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. God's word had brought the victory, and God's word was going to get the focus. That's what I'm going to point them to, the word of God, so they might remember. Then all of Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests and the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them on Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law and the blessings and the cursings according to all that was written in the book of the law. What does Moses do? He reminds them both of the curses of their sins and the blessings of obedience. And then he gets up and boldly proclaims the word of God. He had disobeyed the word of God and seen its consequences. He had walked in obedience to the word of God and he would seen its blessings. And now he's standing up and boldly proclaiming the word of God. This is a mark of somebody who's refreshed in their walk with the Lord. Who's gotten their eyes back on him. A boldness to openly proclaim the word of God. The Bible says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By hearing and heeding the word of God. Look at what it says in that last verse. 
There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. Not a word was left out. I love that. Don't skip over stuff in the Bible. It's in there for a reason, amen? Every single word. If you were here, we taught through Leviticus, didn't we? Wasn't it great? Leviticus is awesome. And you know what? Because it's in the Bible. We need to study all of it. And it says there, he read them before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. Let me ask you a question. Have you delivered God's word to your wife and to your kids? Do they know the word of God? Have you delivered it to them? I want to say this. He was in the middle of a battle. He went 20 miles out of his way to Mount Ebal. He built an altar unto the Lord and he turned to them and taught them everything that Moses had said. He wasn't too busy in the middle of a great battle. How can we be too busy working to deliver God's word to our kids? How can we be too busy with our hobbies to spend time with our children and raise them up in the way they should go so that when they're old they will not depart from it? How can we be too busy to spend time with our wives and with our spouses and to minister to them? How can we be too busy? How much more we should turn off our TV and come home from work and spend less time on a hobby and emphasize God's word to our kids because that's the stuff that's going to outlast this life. I've yet to meet a man lying on his left, dying, and I've been with a few, laying on their deathbed, who said, I wish I'd been at work more. I've yet to meet one that said, I wish I had got, had more stuff. I've, I've talked to several who said I should have spent more time serving God and more time with my family. That should be an exhortation to all of us. Amen? And the greatest thing we can do is minister to our family the Word of God. So, renewing your walk with the Lord, a renewed passion to know God's heart and will, a renewed desire to respond in obedience to His commands, a renewed faith to trust God to bring the victory, a renewed heart of complete surrender and worship, and a renewed burden to boldly proclaim the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your love and Your grace. We ask, Lord, that we would go from this place not trying to do better, but Lord, knowing that we can't do this without You. It's only by the power of Your Holy Spirit upon us that we can walk in the center of your will. Lord, but I do pray that we'd have a greater passion for your word, a greater desire, Lord, to walk in obedience, a greater faith to trust that you will do exactly as you say. And Father, I pray that through it all that you would be glorified. Give us a greater burden to minister to our wives, to our children, to our husbands, to our families, Lord, to reach out to a lost and dying world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.